If you would turn in your Bibles with me again to the fourth chapter of Ephesians, you will be ready, ready to learn about love, really. Ephesians 4, if you could summarize the whole thing, I probably wouldn't summarize it this way. Yeah, I would. I'd say it's about love, as long as I could explain it. So we're going to talk about love today. But before we actually jump into things, let's sort of set the context of it and understand why we will be talking about love today. First of all, we're studying Ephesians from like a 30,000 foot view. Uh, We're doing a chapter a week just to get the big picture because Ephesians is kind of Christianity 101, um, but it's the class you never graduate from, not because you're a flunky, um, but because you want to keep taking it because um, it's what life is all about for, for you as a Christian. So Ephesians is awesome for people who've been Christians for a long time and need a good refresher course. Um, big picture, refresher course. It's good for people who don't know anything about Christianity. It's good for new believers. And so I'm, I'm always thrilled to go back to this book. I've preached through it twice or maybe three times in my life in detail. I like this way better because you get the big picture of a letter, uh, but both have their place. Ephesians 4 is about love, but let's think about love in a bigger sense. What do you think? Christianity is about love? Yeah, Christianity is about love, probably not in the way that people who don't know anything about the Bible think. It's, it's not mere sentimentality, um, it's not just emotion, but you could say Christianity is all about love, but we don't really understand that. So we really don't understand the gospel, we don't understand God, we don't understand salvation, we don't understand Ephesians, we don't understand the Christian life. Think about it this way. Christianity is about love because God made us and because He made us, the natural, normal, expected response from us should be what? Should be love. We should love God. We should love Him uniquely with our heart, soul, mind, and strength like Jesus says. We should love God. That's the the normal, expected response. And then since there are other people, other people made in God's image, our responsibility toward them, as you can see where I'm going, would be to do what? Be to love them. That's why Jesus says you can summarize the law by loving God and loving your neighbor. Okay, it's it's all about love. Sounds like a sappy, sentimental song that you would frown at. And you'd say, it's not all about love. It's about, well, it actually is all about love. We should be loving God. And we should be loving our neighbors. But we don't. Not like God calls us to. Not with pure motives. Not not with heart, soul, mind, and strength. Not loving neighbor as self. So then sin comes into the equation. But Christianity isn't all about sin. It's actually all about love. We should love God and we don't. We should love neighbor and we don't. And so then in Ephesians 1, God loves us. And and He loves us even though we don't deserve to be loved. And everything changes and He sends His Son as an act of love to atone for our lack of love and to live a perfect life of love in our place, fulfilling the law of love, so that if you trust in Christ, His perfect loving God and neighbor is credited to you, so God will accept you, because you've done what's normal, what's expected, and His atoning sacrifice gets rid of the guiltiness of 
you not loving Him? You say, this is super complicated. No, it isn't. It's not complicated at all. It's all about love. And then we get to a passage like Ephesians chapter 4. And what do we hear? We hear, in summary, love. You're supposed to love. We're back to the beginning. You're supposed to love your neighbor. You're supposed to love other people. Just back to what's normal, what's right, what's expected. So that, in that sense, it's, everything is about love. We should love God. We don't. He loves us. And Christ fulfills the law of love on our behalf so we can be acceptable before God. And then we have the power of the Holy Spirit because of the work of Christ to do what we're supposed to do, to do what should have come naturally for us and now comes supernaturally. And so Ephesians is awesome in that sense. Does that make sense, by the way? Ephesians 1 to 3 is about what God has done for us. His love for us, if you will. Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 would be our fitting response now that we're new creatures in Christ. And you could say, Ephesians, it, this is about God's love for us, and this is about 4, 5, and 6 is about our love as we should have loved all along, our, our fitting response. One time I preached a whole sermon on the word therefore in chapter 4, verse 1, because it's so important. Therefore, because of God's love for us, because of what He's done, now you should do something. Well, what? Act like a human being. <laughs> love. Love God and love neighbor. As you love neighbor, love neighbor out of love for God, out of gratitude for God. It really is crucial that we understand it. Because some of us struggle on one side or the other, right? We, we only want to live in the world of Ephesians 4, 5, and 6. And we turn into what we might call moralists. The, the mean word is legalist. Just do, 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 do. Love, 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 love. And we think it's in our own power to love. And it's actually not. Well, that's a problem. But other people want to only live in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. And I'll be honest, I kind of like it. <laughs> loved, 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 right? God's love for us. And he's done all of these things for me. And it's awesome. But the therefore is therefore for a good reason, and the two are not enemies, they're friends. In light of what God has done for us in Christ and loving us, we actually do want to act like human beings should act, and we, we want to love people by the power of the Spirit according to the power of the gospel. So Ephesians is so awesome because it really teaches Christianity and how the two fit together. I promise we'll get there in just a moment. But to the actual text. But this is, this is a real struggle for people. Again, we're going we're we're to be over here and, and we're going to be... Um, if, the, if these folks are legalists, these, these folks over here are, are... I can't think of what license would... How, how would license match with legalist? Licensists? <laughs> it doesn't really make sense. Let me, let me give you a little church history and help you understand how Christians have struggled with this and putting faith and works together, if you will, faith in Christ and how it leads to works. The Protestant reformers helped us in, in saying, well, that, that needs to be looked at through a, a paradigm, a perspective of law and gospel. Okay? God's law says love. Jesus summarized the law that way. And we don't love, and so we're sinners. And so the gospel comes to us in Christ... And, and, and saves us. Oh, wait a minute. The law shows us our guilt, right? Need for Christ. And then Christ comes and Christ fulfills the law, loving 
God, loving neighbor. And then law is important again. Gratitude, right? We show, we, we want to follow the law. The law is good. And I don't mean Mosaic law. I don't mean Leviticus. I don't mean that at all. I mean the general law, as Jesus said, is to love God and love neighbor. So the Protestant reformers would talk about law gospel. You need to know the difference. Okay, let me put it in these terms. Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 is gospel. Okay, all that God has done for us, the good news of what God has done. Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, law. Again, not in a Leviticus sense, not in a Mosaic sense. Principle, though, because here's what happens. First three chapters, you'll be hard-pressed to find commands. Okay, if you want to be fancy, if you're into grammar, it's all indicatives. Here's what God has done, what Christ has done. It's over, it's finished, it's complete, it's awesome. All indicatives, all gospel. Four, five, and six. Hang on. (laughs) You're just, you get rapid, you get blown away with commands. Imperative, 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 imperative. Command, command, command. Do, 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 do. Law, 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 law. Not in a legalistic sense because the law is good, but here's what you should, here's what you should do. Ephesians is so awesome because it puts the two together. They're not enemies, they're friends. Let the law assault you and show you your guilt because you don't love God, you don't love neighbor perfectly. So you see your need for Christ, you see your need for the gospel, what Christ has done, but then in response because of new life in Christ, because you've been united to Christ, now you're not here to just do nothing. You're here to live like a human being. The way we're supposed to live to begin with. New creatures. To love God and neighbor. Puts the two together. It's really quite awesome. Really quite amazing to see how it all fits together. Ready, ready to go for, for chapter 4? Okay, chapter 4 is going to be love, 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 love. But don't you forget it's because God has loved you first, okay? <laughs> we don't want to do that. Uh, we don't want to do that at all. So the first 16 verses have to do with unity and maturity, but you're going to see love drives it. Love drives the unity. Love drives the maturity because, oh, for sure get this. Maturity actually would look like what? Love. Because if it's what we're supposed to do to begin with, if we're mature, we'll love. And then if we're mature together, we'll love together. It's awesome to put the... It's, just go home and read it sometime and look for the love theme that connects the whole thing. All one another's are gestures of love. Maturity, if we're human beings, would be love. He's calling us to maturity. He's calling us to unity. He's calling us to love. Okay, let's look at the first 16 verses of this awesome unity driven by love. Sorry for the long introduction. Verse 1. I therefore... A prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in. Now this is conduct. Chapter 2 told us we used to walk with a ring in our nose led around by the devil. Okay, that's our conduct. Now walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. What's that talking about? Chapters 1 to 3. That's our calling. All that Christ has done. Now live in light of that. He loved you. Now you love. Live in light of that. Verse 2, with all humility 
and gentleness and pa with patience, bearing with one another. I told you it was going to be there. In love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. In the bond of peace, we're getting along because we're loving, we're maturing in love. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Unity, 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 unity. We're going to get along. How can we know if we're mature? We get along. Well, how are we going to get along if we love? You can just ask that question in all different ways. How can we know if we're mature? We love. How can we know if we're mature? We get along. I mean, they, they complement each other. And he's saying, in light of the fact that Christ is your one Savior, and all of those other things he's saying, but they all relate to that, it would make sense that you could get along if you're maturing. This is what's true, we might say in a fancy way, positionally in Christ. And so let's now have it show up practically in the life of the church. It's logical. It makes sense. Well, let's keep going. Verse 7. But grace was given to each one, so there is individuality together in this body, to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So each one of us has received this grace, and so each one of us is able to do this by the power of the Spirit. Therefore, it says, when He ascended on high, He led host of, uh, host of captives, and He gave gifts to men. In saying He ascended, what does it mean but that He also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens, that He might fill all things. Two questions come there. Fill all things. What does that mean? Well, he's going to use it in just a little while to, to talk about maturity. He's going to bring about maturity universally. He did that by coming here. The love is the maturity. But we get confused about ascended, descended. What in the world is he talking about? There are different views, but the most common view, which I think is the right view, it's simply talking about him coming to earth. He descended from heaven. And when he was done with his work here, having given us all that he gave us, he ascended. He went back up. Just a simple way of seeing this. Jesus came here to give us. He came here to love. He came here to, to restore and bring order. He came here to save. He came here to bring maturity. Amongst the diversity, it's going to bring maturity. And again, you want to use the catch-all word? It's the love word. Verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, or pastors and teachers, to equip the saints, that is believers, for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, another way of saying the maturing of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature manhood. He's using a, a, a physical body as an image for maturity. A mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness or the completeness or the maturity of Christ. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Anything but loving, by the way. 
Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. So love is the grow up vehicle as well as the end. In every way into Him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Maturity, love, unity, they're all complementing, they're all working together, serving one another. To be honest with you, as a Bible teacher who loves Christ and His Word and thinks every word is important, I pretty much have apoplexy reading through the passage knowing that we're trying to do a whole chapter because I want to talk about so many things. And you're, some of you are like, stop! Talk about that! If I were preaching, I would stop and talk about every wind of doctrine. Got to go fast. Serving a different purpose than going really slow, which also has its place. It's true. We need to be equipped so we're stable, so we're not tossed here and there by every fad. Okay, that's why we should have good Bible teaching and we're stable and we're mature and all that's true. We're just not having time to talk about it today. But what we do need to see today is in light of what Christ has done for us, in light of positional unity, a unity that every Christian shares. We then are supposed to. We now can. We now need to walk in that unity by the power of the Spirit, not to earn salvation, but because Christ has earned it for us. It's a mandate. It's a mandate that you would get along with me and I would get along with you and we would get along with one another because we're called to do that because it's a positional reality to begin with. We can do it. It's right. It's human, more fundamentally human than anything else because God made us to love Him and to love one another. Sin messes everything up. But chapters 1, 2, and 3 have solved the sin problem. The selfish problem. So it's different. And it's not a bummer. It's what we're made to do. It's what we were designed for from the very beginning. And I do love it that the Apostle Paul uses creation language. Sometimes he uses it in this section, but like in chapter 2, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Like God created in the beginning, he recreates in Christ. So, so now we're back on track. We're now able to do the law. As in love God and love neighbor, like Jesus said. It's a privilege. It's what will bring you the most fulfillment out of anything because it's the most human thing. I think we're going to move on. 
That was the positive side. Now he gives us another dose of bad memories. Okay? In verses 17 and following, we have a contrast. Verse 17 says, Now this I say, and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk. He's talking about your conduct. He's talking about your behavior. No longer walk as the Gentiles. In this context, it would be the godless, as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their minds. He talked about that in chapter 2. This, this, even it corrupts our minds. Don't, don't do that anymore. Don't act like an unbeliever anymore. You used to. Don't do that anymore. Like the funny New Heart video, stop it! And if you haven't seen that, you didn't laugh, you should go home and YouTube it. Stop! Now, in that context, I've never seen a full episode of New Heart in my life, by the way, but that's the funniest YouTube video I've ever seen if you're a Christian, because you kind of get it. If you're a pastor, you really get it. Because you tell people to stop it! Well, but you don't... Stop it! Yeah, but I... I, Stop it! That's not very nice. Stop it! (laughs) The idea is, if you're a Christian, you're new in Christ. United to Him. Granted the Spirit of Christ. You, you, You were dead and now you're alive. You were a spiritual Gentile without God, hopeless, helpless. God made you alive. Do what's right, love. Which means you're no longer living in the gutter. Stop living in the gutter. Positionally, you don't live in the gutter, so you don't have to practically anymore. Verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding. You're not if you're a Christian. You've been enlightened. You've been enlivened. Alienated from the life of God. You're not alienated from the life of God. Read chapters 1, 2, and 3. Because of the ignorance that is in them. You're not ignorant anymore. You've been informed. Due to their hardness of heart. You don't have a hard heart anymore. You have a new heart. No pun intended. (laughs) Wasn't even in my notes, I promise. I wasn't going to say anything about it. I'm going to keep my day job. Verse 19. They have become callous. Notice it's, it's they. That used to be you, but not you anymore if you're a Christian. And have given them... Callous, you don't, you don't feel anymore, right? Callous and have given themselves up to sensuality. Used to be, if it felt good to you with your sinful mind and corrupt and perverse perspective, you did it. You were your own God. As perverse and nasty and upside down and blasphemous as that was, that's what you did. And he's saying, you're not that anymore. You wouldn't want to be that. It's terrible. And you know better. So don't act like that anymore. Act like a Christian who now can find fulfillment in doing what humans are supposed to do, what they've been designed to do, what they've been made to do. Love God and love neighbor. Look at how disgusting this is. Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. 20 says, that is not the way you learn Christ. I love it that our translators put an exclamation point in there. Captures the idea. It's abrupt. It's not the way you learn Christ. Stop it. It's insane. Christians to live like non-Christians? 
No, 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 no. 21. Assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. When you do see Jesus in context, not as the, again, sappy, sentimental, never grows up, never speaks, effeminized, androgynous dude person, right? The truth is in Jesus. When you see Jesus in context, how about, as we started with today, in context of love? When you really get the big picture, which isn't complicated, it's just new to our ears because we haven't never thought about it that way before. But the truth is in Jesus, you wouldn't want to go around again, led around by your own lusts and passions and desires, which are all jacked up anyway. When you, when you get it, you get chapters 1, 2, and 3. And then you're called to do what's right, what's human, what's good, what's honoring to God. And you're a new creation. You've been made alive in Him. You're like, yeah! And Paul's reminding us of the, yeah! This is 101 stuff. It's great stuff. I wrote in my notes, made alive, chapter 2. Chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 and 10. Saved not by good works, for good works. I'm recreated, made new, for good works. Why do I act like they're bad works? Oh man, I got to do what Christians are supposed to do. It's like I, it's, it's like I think I've been saved for bad works. <laughs> it's saved for good works. But it used to be I defined good, which was so perverse. I don't define good anymore. I see straight. I see twenty twenty. Good works. Oh, good is different than I used to think it was. Truth is in Jesus, the good one. I love this stuff and how it all fits together. Verse 22 says, To put off, he's going to use this image of taking off clothes and putting on clothes, clean clothes, dirty clothes, right? To put off your old self, the one that was guided by sinful desires, demonic agendas, Put that off. Take that off. Which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Now it gets a little bit more positive. We can be thankful for that. Verse 23 says, And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, not the futility of your mind like in verse 17. This is mind renewal by the, in the spirit of your mind. Verse 24 then says, And to put on the new self. We're going to put on nice new clothes. Spiritually, to put on the new self, not putting off, putting on now, created after, ah, creation language, I told you it was in this section, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Notice, it's active. This is something you need to do. You're living out your Christian life by the power of the Spirit, yes, not works for salvation, but works because of salvation. But it's not passive. It's not sit back. Take off, put on, conscious, something you do. I'll say 
maybe put it in these terms, these are principles to live by. These are laws to live by. For the Christian. (laughs) If you're not a Christian, by the way, this is the standard. These are laws for you. And if you do these things perfectly, you'll, you'll live. But you won't do them perfectly because you have a sinful heart. But these most definitely are laws. Principles. That's what principles are. Sometimes I like to, to throw rocks at false teachers who just keep giving you principles to live by and as if you can get eternal life by them. And they say, well, we're, not, we're not into laws, we're just into principles. Liar. Principles are laws. <laughs> okay. Laws are principles. But let's, let's be careful to throw those rocks the wrong way. A false teacher will say, do these things and God will accept you. No, you have a problem to begin with. Because you're a sinner. But look to Christ, who did the perfect principles, perfectly, in fulfilling the law, loving God and loving neighbor. Come to Him by faith, rest in Him in His perfect work, life, death, resurrection, ascension, rest in Him, and then principles to live your Christian life by. Because you're a new creature. Let's be careful to make sure we see both sides. We're not Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 Christians. We're not Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 Christians, because that would be impossible. They go together. Byproduct fruit think about this you were Ephesians chapter 2 1, 2 and 3 dead made alive Ephesians 4, 5 and 6 is what life looks like doing what God says perfectly? no but evidence of life until we see Christ and we're made like Him. The perfect principle follower, if you will. The perfect law keeper. Where were we? Uh, I think we're in verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, starting with wrong thinking about God, wrong thinking about self, having put away falsehood, Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. That would be loving, right? For we are members of one another, body of Christ. To do otherwise would be nonsense. When your body lies to itself, it's called sickness and disease. Verse 26 says, be angry. If that's your life verse, you're weird. Um, (laughs) And you have a problem. (laughs) Be angry. It is a command though, interesting. Be angry and do not sin. There is righteous indignation. There's a good kind of anger. If you're never angry, that's a problem. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Seems it's it's such a dangerous thing. It's right, but it's so dangerous. He puts a time limit on it. Verse 27, and give no opportunity to the devil. Seems like that's what makes it so dangerous. In keeping the, the whole letter intact, 
Remember, you used to be led by the devil. And now you're careful to not even go to places that might lead to you acting like you used to act. 28. Let the thief no longer steal. But rather let him labor, let him work. Doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. What's a good one-word summary of the latter part of that text? So that he may love, right? It's all over the chapter. How about this? It's not just enough to, to not steal anymore. You're going to get, you know, you're going to make an honest living. You're going to make an honest living, but as a new creature, you're going to do what human beings were designed to do to begin with, and that's to love other human beings. It's amazing. Loved by God to love. Not because that's extraordinary, but because that's normal. Verse 29, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. I want to say two, two quick things about that. First of all, it's a good verse to go to to confront the trendiness of Christian, Christian swearing because the Bible never talks about swearing. It's just cool. Um, it's not just cool. And the Bible actually talks about saying filthy words. Okay, So the, the, the cool, hip, cutting-edge thing to do is to be a Christian and I'm a Christian so I can say whatever I want to say because you know what Jesus is the one who paid for my sins anyway I'm on a little bit of a soapbox and a hobby horse but grow up no Christian ever thought that way so you shouldn't think that way either and the Bible talks about the way you talk having said that Having gotten that off my chest. Stop it. No. <laughs> Having said that, I, I think I would be doing you a disservice as a pastor if that's all I said and that's the only way I use that passage. He's driving for something far more than that. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, your mouths, but only such is good for uh, building up. That's loving language. That's maturing language, unifying language, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. It's not just don't say the F word, though you shouldn't. It's not saying don't just call someone a blank, though you shouldn't. There's a bigger context, though. Do say things that are loving. Don't say things that aren't loving. Right? You're a new creation. You're a new creature. And you express yourself in certain ways. And now that you've been loved to love, have it show up even in the way you talk. See, there's a bigger agenda. Why wouldn't I say those words? Well, why would you if your goal is to build up and help and encourage and love? So I think I do, do my, my 
swearing Christian friends, and I have some, a disservice if I only give them the first part, though I think I should. What's the whole thing here? And by the way, this would fit not just with the infamous four-letter words. I said I was going to say two things. I'm saying three things. You could use prim and proper language and just rip people apart and be in violation of this. No, it's love. It's grace. Kindness. Out of Gratitude for what God has done for us graciously. Okay, verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Those would be the things that would grieve the Holy Spirit. By whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That's chapter 1. I mean, in chapter 1, we were on this kind of spiritual, you know, the spiritual high. This is awesome. We're blessing God. Sealed for the day of redemption. There's no way anybody could ever take this away from me. It's awesome. Amazing. And then I out of the other side of my mouth because I forgot that just rip people and he gives us the image of the Holy Spirit being grieved that doesn't make any sense the Spirit took you and sealed you secured you in light of what Christ did for you in paying for those gross detestable ugly sins why in the world would you still do those things it's just bad. It's wrong. Verse 31, let all bitterness, that's like resentment, bad taste is the idea. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, this shouting. The word for clamor is used to describe a crow, crowing, Loud shouting, clamor, crowing, shouting, and slander, which would be speaking hurtfully, untruthfully about other people. It's our word for blasphemy. Be put away from you along with all malice, all desire to hurt people. Just, that doesn't make any sense. Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. doesn't make any sense to be talking like that. To be acting like that. You know, does not compute, does not compute, does not compute. System error, system error, system error. This doesn't make sense. I know what I'm talking about makes sense. It's just hard to do. Super hard to do. That's why I think we need a dose of Christianity 101 on a regular basis. It's so good for me to leave today and, and, and be reminded. It's like, oh, I need to pay attention to how I talk. I need to pay attention to my attitudes. Next week when we're not talking about this, we will be, but when we're talking about, let's just say, Ephesians 2 again, or we're talking about Hebrews 1, or just some great, grand, awesome, indicative passage of what Christ has done, it'd be good if we prayed that God would help us to also then reflect upon how we would live in light of that. Because we should live in light of that in a certain way. Hard for me to pick one of these things to emphasize, but maybe I'll just make a confession and say, it's hard for me, I want to pick on the bitterness one before we close. I'm bitter about bitter people. 
So I'm, I'm guilty. But the bitterness one stands out just because I know so many Christians who are bitter. I know so many Christians who are bitter. Don't be bitter. You've got a bad taste in your mouth. and It, does, it doesn't go away. In light of what Christ has done for you, what do you deserve? You don't deserve anything. You deserve condemnation. So you're going to hold a grudge against other people because they did something wrong to you? The context of the gospel here is you've done so many wrong things it's not even funny. So you don't have any basis for holding other people to some sort of standard that you yourself actually don't hold. That's why, again, Jesus is the answer. <laughs> okay? Because if you, if you can be reminded of what Christ gave you when you didn't deserve it, you're not going to be a bitter person. That's why we do have to keep coming back to the gospel. I hardly ever have props for my sermons. I know you wish I did, but I do have a sticker here that I hope to not give to any of you ever. But some of the pastors and I were at a gift shop uh, we were at a conference in Southern California, and we were at a gift shop, and there was a T-shirt. And the T-shirt said, I am very bitter, and I like it. And I said to some of the pastors, I'd like to buy a whole case of those T-shirts and give them to certain Christians I know. And they all knew exactly what I was talking about. You could probably give away a case of them also. So I didn't buy the t-shirts, but I did buy a sticker. <laughs> I am very bitter and I like it. I could have a case of these stickers and just give them out to Christians. Now I confessed to you earlier, I could give one to myself on a regular basis. To be bitter, to have a bad attitude, to hold grudges, doesn't make any sense. Don't live a bitter life. It's nonsense. And this will help put it all into perspective. Because this covers the anger, slander, malice, bitterness. Verse 32 is awesome. Let's end on a positive. Be kind to one another. These are the opposite of bitterness and crowing. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Ah, Jesus is the answer. Right? He's hearkening back to one, two, and three, especially two. I know this is super basic, but I have to say it. If you've been forgiven by Christ, you've been forgiven a lot. You were God's enemy, Romans 5. You were a child of wrath, Ephesians chapter 2. Your allegiance was to self and Satan, Ephesians chapter 2. And God forgave you in Christ. The argument is from the greater to the lesser. You can forgive anyone for anything. 
because they will never offend you as much as you have offended God. That is why we come back to the gospel again and 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 again. That's why in so many ways what we need in counseling people with their bitterness, resentment, lack of forgiveness, what we need is theology. And we need people to understand the gospel. Christ has forgiven you. Forgive. Forgive. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that we've been forgiven much in Christ. May it be the basis for us forgiving, that we would forgive our enemies, we would forgive our relatives, we would forgive our spouses if we're married, we would forgive our friends, we would be forgiving people because we've been forgiven. Help us to see the offense of our sin as the Apostle Paul wants us to, as you want us to, so that we can see the abundance of grace and mercy shown to us, lavished upon us in Christ. And may that cause us to want to do what's right, to respond with gratitude and to respond in a way to others as you've responded to us. Indeed, it's good news that we've been forgiven. May we reflect that and magnify that and imitate that in the way we react and respond with those around us. Thank you so much for Jesus Christ, for his perfection, for his love, for his spirit, and for his church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.